Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. The Camino de Santiago is a series of long-distance walks across Europe. They are pilgrimages. The Camino is famous for providing pilgrims an opportunity to experience spiritual renewal. And for centuries, pilgrims have walked to the Cathedral in Santiago de Compostela, where the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James are interred. When pilgrims arrive in Santiago, they are issued a Compostela. The Vatican decreed more than a thousand years ago, pilgrims issued a Compostela would be granted an indulgence. Your sins would be forgiven. The pilgrim's office in Santiago has a website. It says, to get the Compostela, you must make the pilgrimage for religious or spiritual reasons, or at least an attitude of search. You can do the last 100 kilometres on foot or horseback, or the last 200 kilometres on a bicycle. It's understood that the pilgrimage starts at one point, and from there you visit the tomb of St. James. You must collect the stamps on the Credencial del Peregrino from the places you pass through to certify that you have been there. And that Credencial becomes your souvenir, your passport. I have one of the Compostellos framed above the desk where I'm sitting here at the microphone. It has pride and place in my studio, a reminder of my journey, not just on the Camino, but in life. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, the German writer and statesman, said, Whatever you do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius and power and magic in it. My guest this week is the U.S. academic Scott Peters. He's on the line from Wisconsin, northwest of Chicago. Welcome, Pilgrim. G'day. It's wonderful to be with you to talk about the Camino. <laughs> G'day to you, too. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself, Scott. Sure. Well, I, as you said, I live uh, in the southern part of Wisconsin, just outside of Madison, Wisconsin. For those who are uh, internationally inclined, that's, as you said, it's about two and a half, three hours from Chicago, I've uh, been here for about 10 years now, but lived in this part of the country uh, all my life. And let's see, I walked the Camino about 18 months ago. So it was in May and June of 2016. Do you, do you remember where you first heard about the Camino de Santiago? I think the very place, and this is going to be the, probably the only thing that's really kind of cliche about my trip, but I think like so many other people, including people I've heard on this wonderful podcast, are uh, I heard about it by watching Martin Sheen's movie The Way, and it was a, um, it's kind of, well, kind of a long story, I suppose, in that my wife has a job that sometimes she has to work overnights, and so when she would work overnight, uh, back before we had children, I would sit down and open a beer and watch a movie and relax at the end of the day. And one day I just chose to, um, to watch the way. And it was, uh, it was, a, it was a very powerful, um, experience. Uh, I'll just say that. And, but it was probably a good six, seven years then, um, until I finally got to walk. Are you an adventurous person? I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm as adventurous as one can be when, uh, at least now I have two children and, uh, you know, a, a house and a, and a mortgage and a boring life and things like that. So I, I, I used to do, when I was younger, many outdoor things. I was very involved in uh, scouting and backpacking and things like that. But that has, uh, has very much fallen by the wayside. Would you regard yourself as spiritual or, or religious? It's a it's a difficult question. I, w I was very much raised as a religious person. I was raised and went to uh, uh, 
primary and secondary school, you know, for years one through eight um, in your system in a, in a Lutheran school and was fairly religious, but like uh, so many, I suppose, kind of drifted away for it over time. And as a, an academic, I'm a, a research methodologist, and that's always been a bit of a interesting dual role to play of empirical scientist versus religion. But I'm definitely a, a spiritual person, and I think that's something that uh, definitely grew uh, during my Camino. So I, I mentioned there the reasons why you get your Compostela. Did you make the pilgrimage for religious or spiritual reasons, or at least an attitude of search? I think I definitely, I can say confidently, did it um, with an attitude of search and with a, a goal of self-reflection and perhaps self-understanding. And I think part of that um, was definitely religious um, in, in a sense. But it, it was very much um, an attempt to go away and do a little self-exploration and try to think about ways that I could be happier in my life. Yeah, and you contacted me to say that you walked the last 250 kilometres of the Del Norte in early summer 2016. So where did you start? So uh, it's a, I'll give you a little bit of backstory, which is just that uh, I started planning my Camino by trying to think about how much time I could get away with being gone with my wife. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, uh, you know, I, at some point I had talked to her about how thinking of the Camino Frances and started talking to her about how it was this month long trip and, you know, kind of putting feelers out and that didn't go very well. And so, um, I, I kind of moved to then, uh, well, what, how the balancing between what I could get away with and still making it feel like a real, like a real Camino. And that's something, you know, we could talk about of, well, at what point is it short that it's not kind of the same experience? Um, but anyway, so what I did is I basically said, okay, I, I have about two weeks, and so where should I start? And so I knew I wanted to end in Santiago. Um, and, you know, people talk about how that's not important to them or it is. And for me, it was important to, to finish in Santiago. And I was also very concerned about the crowds on the Frances. Um, so I'm a, again, I'm a, an academic, you know, I'm an empirical researcher. And so I researched the Camino to death um, before I went. And actually I have still multiple Excel spreadsheets of multiple routes that I had planned. Um, and even the day before I left actually was still wondering if I should bail at the last minute and just do the Francais or I had a plan for the Primitivo. I had everything planned out, but finally I decided that I would do the Del Norte because it sounded like from what I was reading on discussion boards, that it was pretty similar to, what the Francais was about 10 years ago in terms of crowds and capacity. And that sounded like kind of what I wanted. I didn't want to do the Primitivo because I didn't want it to be that isolated. I want more of a pilgrim experience, but I also didn't want, I was very concerned about rushing for a bed and waking up at 5 a.m. and, you know, and not enjoying the experience. And so that's how I picked the Del Norte. And then once I chose that, I basically went online to various bus schedules to figure out, all right, well, where can I start? Um, and actually, I didn't realize how unusual that is until kind of after the fact. But I, um, I looked at flying round trip into Santiago and got into Santiago and took a bus as far as it would take me, which was um, the seaside town of Luarca, which is... Um, it's just west of Oviedo, and it's it's about the second or third to last stop before the Del Norte turns inland. Right. So a couple days after um, after Luarca, you you lose sight of the ocean. Um, just to kind of give you some 
idea. It's about 260 kilometers, I think, was my, was my walk to Santiago. So you finished your PhD at 25 and had tenure at your university in Wisconsin by the age of 30. Was this Camino thing about stepping out of your comfort zone for once? I think, uh, I think yes. The other thing I would say is that, uh, and I imagine you've got some people listening who um, can empathize with what I'm going to say, is that I've always used staying extraordinarily busy kind of as a mental health coping mechanism. Um, and kind of what I mean by that is, um, the way I've tried to describe it is like, there's like a finite amount of energy. It's, um, uh, in, in my brain. And if I'm not doing something with it, if I'm not very busy with something, then that energy kind of turns inward and can become kind of self-destructive and can manifest as anxiety and depression and those kinds of things. And you live with this, and you live with this every day. I do. Oh, absolutely. I live with this every day. Um, and, and, and say, for instance, today, how is that battle going today? Well, preparing to uh, talk to me, it's, it's eight o'clock in the evening there. How, how was today? T- t- today was okay. Um, now that I, when I first had children, it manifested in kind of, um, difficult ways because I was nervous all the time about getting all my work done and, you know, being right by my kids and all those kinds of things. And now that time has gone on, I've gotten a little bit more relaxed about it. Um, and it's not as, it's not as, as stressful, but part of, part of what led me to the Camino was very much this. I was not in necessarily a very good place. Um, it gets dark and cold here in Wisconsin in the winters, and, uh, you know, dark at four o'clock in the evening and light at nine o'clock in the morning. And, you know, all of my predispositions plus that sometimes would, um, kind of put me in a bad place. And that had gone on for a number of years and, you know, was just been trying to find a way to kind of break through, break through something. And so that's, that's definitely what kind of what led me to the, the Camino is a willingness to say, well, I'm going to try something different. And so you stepped right outside your comfort zone. You could have looked back at your comfort zone as you flew out, I'd imagine. I, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it, it's funny because um, – so I went in the – I left kind of towards the middle to the second half of May, and I believe I had to have my grades turned in on a Wednesday, and I was getting on a plane on Friday. <laughs> and, I mean, I really – you know, un- unless you're a, an academic, it's hard to explain. It's like – running a thousand miles a minute, you know, up to the end of the semester, trying to get all of your, your grades turned in and answering questions and everything. And then just all of a sudden, boom, it's over. So it's like stimulation, stimulation, everything is crazy going on. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's done. And that, that always happens. But what was different this year is boom, it was done. And then all of a sudden I was on a plane and then all of a sudden I was landing in Santiago where I didn't speak very good Spanish I had jet lag. I had my own personal kind of, um, you know, mental health anxieties. I didn't know what I was doing. It was totally out of my comfort zone. I mean, it really was, um, uh, it's hard to even articulate. It was challenging, certainly emotionally, but it was quite a shock. So you have a young family at home, you have an established career and you decide to walk off on this Camino. You not only stepping outside your comfort zone, but you're stepping outside really anything you've done before and your next sentence in your email to me really intrigued me you said you cried every day often many times a day 
for about 11 days on the way to Santiago. Why? Yeah. It's a really good question. I've thought about it a lot um, ever since I got back. I think part of it stems from all of a sudden it's, it's, it's almost like a relapse of an addiction. It's like when I was at home, I was always finding things to do to kind of feed the addiction because that's how I dealt with everything. And then all of a sudden I got to, to Spain and that was all gone. I mean, there was none of the things that I usually did to distract myself were there. I didn't have a cell phone. You know, I had maybe access to internet in the evenings, but didn't really use it. I didn't have any work. I didn't have kids and everything was gone. So it was such a complete shock to my system and I think that plus I had um, really an incredible amount of guilt while I was there. I was I felt guilty for leaving my wife and my young daughter. I felt guilty for feeling guilty. Like I felt bad that I was feeling so bad. Um, it was just an extraordinarily um, emotional time. And it's it's so funny because I can remember looking to change my flight to go home early and yet now, like many times, I was on my phone at an albergue, um, on my iPad, an albergue, looking to see if I could fly home early because, you know, of all this kind of anguish. And yet now, I, I just think I would just love to get up and go back. It, it's, it doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, it's just completely illogical. Um, but I think that's what a lot of people say about the Camino. What was the Camino telling you? Um. I think one of the things I remember taking away at the very end was it really was telling me to worry less, to be less stressed out about what is going to happen tomorrow, to be less concerned about uh, about little things. Um, I think that's the big thing that I've tried to yeah. take away. And that's more, um, that's more than enough. <laughs> it is. It's it, it, more it than is. enough. And there's no way to to fake that. I mean, that's why I was worried originally about not going for a long enough period of time is I didn't want it to be like I was going on a vacation for a weekend. I mean, there is something, and I don't know if you've experienced this or have talked to others that have, but there's something about when you're gone both internationally, so somewhere that's not just in your backyard, and also for a certain amount of time where it does have a larger effect than if you just went away on a holiday for three or four days. Yeah, and it's the method of travel too. Uh, I was only, is, just yeah, so. only just talking last week with Patty Pye about slow tourism and, mm-hmm. and being able to really absorb uh, in, in, in almost the beat of the heart speed, mm-hmm. be able to absorb all of that culture and all of those experiences and all of those sights and sounds. It is. Now when I think about a couple of years ago, my wife and I did a, a road trip of sorts through Europe for two weeks and – now, when I think about, you know, taking cars and trains and going from one place to the other and, you know, um, or taking a cab, you know, to see a tourist attraction or something, as opposed to actually walking the whole route. I mean, it's just completely almost repugnant to me, like this idea of traditional tourism of, you know, hopping around from site to site. I mean, walking and doing something like this is so much more attractive. I've, I've spent a lot of time since I've been back trying to find ways that I can replicate it kind of in miniature um, you know, doing all kinds of searches here in the States of places where I could do something like a Camino. And it's, it's just, you can't, I mean, that you can't, there's nothing that 
is very similar. And that's why it calls us back. The call is so powerful. I've said here before, Scott, Australians and Americans lead very pampered lives. We're incredibly fortunate people. And perhaps that's part of the appeal of living very simply too, because you realize how simply you can live. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's, I've heard people talk about it on, on this podcast before and elsewhere that you start realizing how, how little you need. And many people come home and start, you know, start throwing things away and uh, trying to live more simply. And it is, I, I, I came back and it's, it's obviously hard to do with, with two, two very young children, you know, all of a sudden start throwing away many of your possessions. They, uh, <laughs> I'm, st- I'm, I'm still in the accumulation phase for sure. Um, but it does. It makes you kind of appreciate much, much smaller things. So what did you learn about yourself? We talked about what the Camino was telling you, but what did you learn about yourself? Um, you know, it was really interesting because I got back from the Camino and then that summer I did a, a mindfulness training um, for the summer for about 10 weeks for three hours, you know, kind of once a week. And, and so that kind of worked really nicely to kind of have that almost like a forced reflection time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think something I, I learned, which may be a little bit more unique to me is to just um, to stop feeling this, this word of should this, Oh, I should, um, be happy with what's going on. I shouldn't feel bad about something or I should stay home. You know, I shouldn't go on this trip. Um, that's something that I felt a lot, um, you know, when I was back home that, oh, I should be doing one thing or another because that's the right thing to do. And that, you know, oftentimes the things we feel like we should be doing are contrary to maybe what we need to do or to what would make us happy or even make the others around us happy. And it was hard. You know, it was a hard thing to make the decision to go. Um, but I think I was definitely better for it, um, better for it in the end. And so I think that and then just the, the, the whole idea of, of kind of self-reflection and being much more willing to kind of follow yourself to whatever person you're going to be, which it, that probably sounds very, I don't know abstract or philosophical no, or something. Not at all, not at all. But, but, but being concerned less about whether or not, you know, the direction you're going is the right one or the wrong one and just being much more open to what's going to happen. Um, you know, the difference of experiencing something versus um, how you're feeling about the experience of something. Like just letting it open and say, this is what happening has happening. How am I feeling about this? Is it hard? Is it easy? Or to stop and say, yes, this is really very enjoyable. I'm happy right now. Like that's not something to feel bad about. Um, and that was something that I learned as I felt so kind of bad a lot of the time on the Camino. And that, that probably sounds terrible. Like, oh, I had this horrible time, which I didn't. But I, I, I felt, you know, guilty um, a lot of the time, as I said. And something I think I learned from the Camino is to not do that. Like making myself miserable isn't like making anyone else happier. So all it's doing is serving to make myself miserable. Um, and that's still something I'm working on, but I think it's definitely something I learned um, on the Camino. Wow. That's a powerful statement. That's amazing. Uh, my next yeah. question is, there's an old saying, your Camino begins in Santiago. And I'm go- I was going to ask you, did you find yourself looking at life at home differently when you return to your day-to-day life? But you've clearly answered that and that's yes. 
It did. And, and you know, I try so hard to keep it, to keep it with me. I mean, I have a picture of a, a way marker on my office door and every time I get to my office in the morning, I stop and just pause for kind of a second and, and, you know, think about the Camino again to try to reinforce that. But I had a, you know, I had a, a kind of a powerful, I guess, experience when I got to Santiago, um, that kind of reinforced that, that I, I mean, I can, I can talk about, I guess, but, um, I'm an academic, so I can just talk for forever. I mean, you'll be stuck here. I mean, I'm, I'm paid to fill air, so no, I'll no. just forewarn you. Well, well let, I want to talk about Santiago, but let's go back. First of all, let's go back to the Camino. Um, yes. where does Where does the Norte meet the Frances? Uh, the exact, I believe it's in Arzua. I believe it's two stops beforehand. Uh, uh, yes. So in, in Arzua, so it's yeah. roughly, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, I don't know what that is, maybe 50, 60 kilometers before Santiago. So did you feel a different energy once you joined the Frances? Uh, I did. It definitely felt, and I'm, you know, everyone has pretty much walked these last, you know, 50, 60 kilometers. So, yeah. so they, they know, but um, it, it did change very much, which is that there's, you know, along the Norte, there was maybe a municipal albergue you know, in, in the towns where you stopped and there was maybe one private albergue, you know, in some of the larger towns, I think the one big town I was in, maybe there were three albergues, but then all of a sudden you come to the Frances and there's just this entire infrastructure, um, focused on pilgrims and there's many restaurants and there's souvenirs and there's many people and there's reservations of beds and everything. And it wasn't a terrible culture shock for me, I think, because I hadn't been gone that long. It had only been maybe nine days when I got there, but it was definitely different. And um, it, it did make me glad that I had done the Norte because it was a nice balance. So there was, I always say that there was roughly one albergue of people walking kind of at any given time. So the albergue was never full, but you were never alone. It was always kind of a good balance. It, it certainly would have been busier on the Francis, as you say, but did you always find a bed on the Norte? Absolutely. It was never in the last, I want to say maybe, uh, I think it's in, was in Opedruzo, um, about 20 kilometers out from Santiago. We actually did reserve a room. I don't know if I would have needed to. Um, and keep in mind that was essentially, I was done. I think my Compostela says, I think it maybe says May 31st or June right. 1st. So yeah. I was somewhat early in the season. Yeah. 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 I see some of the pictures now um, of people trying to go to Pilgrim's Mass, and I just can't believe it. And, and again, that's kind of what I wanted to avoid. I didn't want it to be so crowded that it felt like a tourist experience. I wanted it to be like a real, moving, kind of personal experience. What about in terms of cost? How does the Norte compare with the Frances in terms of the back pocket? I would say, I mean, I found it very similar, um, yeah. and I, you know, I say similar, even though I haven't been on the Francais, but from everything I've read, it sounds pretty similar. I mean, there were a f spotty Donativo albergues, not very many, but most of them were in the area. You know, municipals were in the area of seven euros. You'd have some privates that were in the area of 10 euros. And then you'd often have the Menio del Dia for, for 10 euros. And so it was not expensive. I think I forget how long I was maybe including my plane ticket and the entire time I, I was there, I think I maybe spent $2,000 and that included like a stay over in Dublin on the way back for a day. So it, it seems like it was pretty similar. And my, I understand the food is very good on the Norte. 
It is, and it's very diverse because you move through these various regions. And again, I'll speak a little bit of places I wasn't, but you know, when starting in the far northeast of Spain and then moving along the coast, obviously there's a large, you know, access to very good seafood. But because you move through the different regions, you get to experience how you know very different preparations and very different forms of wine and regions that are very big on their cider. And then you turn inland to Galicia and get into very rural areas, so you get kind of that experience as well. And so it's it's uh, it really is kind of a um, kind of a culinary uh, a tour, really. As and again, I only got to experience kind of a smaller part of it, but but yes, I always I always enjoyed the food. Yeah, my Camino podcast guest in week 26, Lexi Connors, is a friend of mine. She lives on one of Sydney's beautiful beaches, and Lexi made a point of surfing while she was in Spain on, oh. the, on the Norte. Were you tempted to go into the water? <laughs> I did go down into the water. Uh, let me think. I did go down to the water in, in Luarca when I, when I started. Um, I went down to the water, I believe it was in Navia, which was my second day. Uh, and then, then you're up on the cliffs. So it becomes a little bit, a little bit harder. You're very high up and there's just some incredible views. I mean, I've seen a number of people say that by far the Norte is the most beautiful. Um, but it's also one of the most challenging because you're up on these cliffs and especially in the earlier parts, you're up and down right along the coast a lot. So there is a lot of elevation change. So, you know, you get the views, but you also have to work for it. And, and and when you say the scenery is incredible, if you're walking from Adura to Santiago, it's, you're pretty flat from there. It's there yes. aren't too, so. How does it compare? Is it up and down? You said up and down, but is it difficult? Is the question I'm trying to ask. Um, yes, and again, and again, I only got. It really starts once it turns inland, which again was about my fourth day. Um, it, it starts to flatten out and become much more rural. And so it's, you know, rolling hills, but it's not nearly as difficult. So, you know, about the last, say, 100 to 150 kilometers, I would say, are fairly similar to yeah. the to the Frances. Um, it's the earlier parts that are along the coast where you're constantly up on a cliff overlooking the ocean, but then you'll go down into a town or you'll go down to cross a river or something like that, and you'll have to go back up. And so there's often a lot of elevation change. It's often on gravel. Um, at least my experience was not on a lot of paved roads, which was nice, you know, occasionally going into cities. Yeah. But it's, it's the elevation change. So it's, it's definitely a little more difficult on, on the knees if you're predisposed for that. So tell us about walking into Santiago de Compostela. Yeah, it was... Um, I, I, I was, I really wanted it to be, um, you know, I suppose more of an emotional experience than it was. I mean, it, it was wonderful, but I think, again, this is where I was a little bit jealous that I wasn't gone for longer just because it probably would have been more powerful. But um, I had joined up with, I don't know, at, at various points, I was walking with um, a couple of Polish monks who were in their early teens, then they're like 18 years old and they were going into the monastery and I was walking into Santiago with them and I think an Italian military general and then a couple of other teenagers from New Jersey in the United Wonderful. States. How oh, yes, it was it was I have this picture that's just it blows my mind because it's in an albergue and this Italian general demanded that he cook for us. And that meant, you know, 80 percent of the cost of the meal was wine. <laughs> and it was fantastic because it was these monks 
who had been in the military. So in Poland, they had this required military service, and now they were going to be monks, and there were three of them. We had these two Italian girls who were kind of hard rock girls, these three, like, 20-year-olds. From It was just the most wonderful collection of characters um, who were just a riot, and that was a lot of my Camino family. And so that morning we walked into Santiago and we, we, we stayed in uh, Pedruzo with the idea being we'd be able to get to Pilgrim's Mass. And we did. We got there in time, but the three people from New Jersey that I were with, they had to leave immediately. They were going to Portugal to visit a, a relative. And so it was it was kind of a shock. You know, like we arrived and it was all of a sudden they were gone. And so mm. it was very kind of... Um, you know, like my Camino family all of a sudden kind of disappeared and, you know, left me kind of sad, kind of sad in Santiago. Um, but the other thing is, and I, I don't think I would recommend doing what I did, which is I flew round trip into and out of Santiago and I didn't go into the cathedral. So I didn't go into the cathedral when I got there, but I landed in Santiago, stayed the night at a hostel and then took the bus to my starting place the next day. But that meant I had been in town. So I had at least seen the road. Like I saw the outside of the cathedral. And I think that kind of stole a little bit of it. Um, so I wouldn't recommend. If you are going to fly round trip into Santiago, don't let yourself like go near the cathedral. Like sequester yourself in your albergue until, <laughs> until you get there at the end. Because I, I, I felt like I achieved myself a little bit. But, but the nice part was is I had um, – I had walked a little faster than I thought, so I had two, two and a half days in Santiago at the end, which was actually kind of nice. I got to really spend a lot of time in the cathedral, go to the museum, go on some tours. Um, it was really a nice experience. I've, I've written here, I always take notes while I do my interviews, and I've got empirical researcher written at the cro at the top of the page and a big arrow down to the final question here which says were you what i call a spreadsheet pilgrim did you have it all mapped out <laughs> i think you've answered that oh i'm looking at my spreadsheet right now and it's right in front of me i have the date the start the end the mileage where i'm staying i even have an alternate where i'm staying i had everything in there um, that's so funny now, that is uh, so funny in my defense i will say that i did I did abandon it. I mean, I didn't make reservations. I just had a plan and I abandoned it once, um, you know, I maybe found different places that sounded good to stay at or, you know, at one point, um, my friends were going to stay somewhere else. And so I, I hooked it for a, you know, like a 35 kilometer day and was very exhausted, but also very happy that I did. So I allowed myself to get flexible, but I definitely, you know, it, it's hard to overstate the amount of reading and planning that I did beforehand. I mean, it it was in part because it's fun. I mean, people talk about how enjoyable it is to plan their Camino, you know, to read about it. But in part, it's because that's just my personality of yeah. being very kind of anxious. Yeah, but let me ask you something. Could you even imagine if I said to you, okay, um, your summer – you and I are going to walk the Primitiva. Primitiva. I don't want you to do any research. <laughs> but could, could, you, um, could you do it? Could you do that? Could, could I say to you, right, okay, I know a couple of guys in America. I know a couple of guys in Ireland. We're going to go together. We're all going to meet, and we're going to meet in a studios, and we're just going to wing it. Uh, I, could, I could do it, but only because 
you were forcing me essentially like you wouldn't have to physically restrain me but i would only be able to do it because you had said no you have to do this and i would feel like guilt if i and you know broke the rules or something like that but uh and i think that would actually been great and i i really do in hindsight i would give someone the recommendation of you know maybe reserve a room for the first night or something so you don't have to rush once you get there but beyond that i would recommend just winging it and, and and not planning. I think it will be better for the vast majority of people. Of course, that's a different issue on the Francais, but um, yeah, yeah. to whatever extent you can to try to be flexible and to go with it yeah. and to let yourself be distracted by crazy ideas and friends that say, hey, let's just do this. And I think that's part of the experience. It is indeed. Just having said that, did you find it easy to organize um, what you needed to organize from where you are in the United States. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, and I mean, surprisingly so. Right. I mean, I, the only thing I really had to organize per se was the bus that I took from Santiago out to Luarca. Um, because that's not a, there were no pilgrims on that bus. I mean, this was a weird thing that someone started in Luarca. I mean, why would you start there? Uh, but I was able to figure that out pretty easily online. I mean, the flights and things like that. And even doing things like the, the bookings that I reserved the first night. Um, and then I, I actually reserved a room in Santiago at the end. And because that was, it, that was the one benefit of flying round trip out of Santiago is I was able to drop a bag at my hotel and say, I'll be back in two weeks. And they were like, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't have to worry about carrying my airplane clothes or something like that. So no, I found it very easy to plan but then again, there wasn't that much to plan, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, hey, yeah. There are some magic walks in the United States, uh, indeed, in your neck of the woods. And I read somewhere while doing some research myself. I'm a bit obsessive about it, as you know. The Arboretum at the University of Wisconsin is one of the hidden gems of the state. Indeed, that's where I that's where I trained many a times. Would do these big long routes in uh in our arboretum here in madison so i i know it well there's also a really there's kind of a it is kind of a hidden gem in the state of wisconsin that's just called the ice age trail which um you know wisconsin's kind of unless you know what it's shaped like there's a a large peninsula in the northeast and it starts there and comes all the way down to the southern part of the state and then loops all the way back up to the northwest part of the state up into minneapolis in minnesota and it's a good thousand miles just within the state. And um, it's very much similar to the Pacific Coast Trail um, or the Appalachian Trail, um, but far less kind of well-known. But um, And m- my challenge with those is just, I, I, again, I have a lot of outdoor camping experience and backcountry experiences. That's not what I was going for. And that's not even like I could walk out my door tomorrow and do that route. But it would be very isolated. There's not many things to see along the way. There's not like a kind of cultural experience. And plus, I'd be camping kind of alone. And so whenever I've tried to re- repeat my Camino, you know, closer to home, I've always kind of run into this same little challenge of you just can't do it. I mean, yeah. there's, there's believe me, I've spent a lot of time trying to do it. And there's not really a good way to replicate it back in the States. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? That There is an Australian Camino. Uh, it retraces the footsteps of our first saint, uh, Saint Mary MacKillop, and you can walk. It's only about 150 k's, uh, but it's down in South Australia and Victoria. Uh, beautiful countryside. 
Uh, and yes, I, I actually looked this up. I was there. Uh, I was there maybe three months before my Camino, and I looked at. I actually looked at doing it, but it was I was in Sydney, and it was farther away. So, oh, there you go. Well, you must look me up next time you're down here. Now, the Del Norte uh, was used by Christians when Muslims had moved into the north of Spain, and the traditional Francis route became too dangerous. So was the history of the Norte part of the journey? Was that aspect of the story told along the way? It, it is, but you have to work for it more. I mean, I think that was that's probably the biggest downside to me when I think about it. The biggest thing I had to give up in not doing the Francais was these very large towns, you know, Burgos, with these very large cathedrals steeped in history and everything, um, you, that's still there on the Norte, but you, it's not as built up. I mean, there is a place where you walk past the ruins of a Roman era church and there's a sign outside, but you know, there's no, you know, kind of information about it. There's nobody else there. So it's a little bit more rustic and, um, and it's just not as well established in terms of what the history is. Like you kind of have to seek it out from locals or read about it online or something like that. Like I'm more so on your own. Um, there is uh, um, one kind of highlight of, of the trip in that regard is a, a monastery that you're able to stay at, a Sobrado dos Monxes, um, which is, uh, it's about, I'd say it's about 100 kilometers, maybe 80 kilometers before Santiago. And um, it's just wonderful. I mean, the the... the the monastery is an albergue. You get to stay in one of the old cloisters and you can go to the Vespers at night with the monks. And that was a really nice experience. How fantastic. Yeah, that's you can go to the Vespers with the monks in Rabanel del Camino as well, mm. um, which mm-hmm. is just a wonderful experience. Yeah. And I know the Norte is on many pilgrims to do list. Are you planning other Caminos then? Oh, of course. I've already thought of five different ones I would like to do. I've also <laughs> been looking in into the Via de Francigena in Italy. Um, um, I, I've been looking at some, uh, some, you know, trying to explore some other ones that are in Ireland and Great Britain and things like that. And I'm always trying to decide uh, if, if I was to do it again. I mean, I think I've been reading as I've been following a lot of this, that the Norte is experiencing a lot of growth Um and as is uh, the Portuguese. And so I, I've often said to my friends who I was there with that I met there that maybe next time I would like to be the Portuguese. But it sounds like that is getting very built up, that that's kind of becoming second only to the Francais. And so it, I, I've, I've said I would love to be able to do the Francais, to have the experience. But then again, I just I really don't want to be getting up at 5 a.m. and fighting. And I, you know, I don't want it to be tourists. So it's not a good answer to the question. I would love to do it again, but I haven't really figured out which route um, I would do. For a long time, I said it would be the Portuguese, uh, and that still might be my answer. But uh, and I I have a conference that's in that's in Porto in 2020, and so I've had that in the back of my mind for years of maybe sneaking away for going to the conference for two days and then hiking for two weeks. Can you see your wife and, and maybe even the children joining you for a Camino somewhere down the track? I have uh, every time I see someone online uh, with pictures of them in a stroller and a three-year-old, I say it to my wife and say, "Oh, people are doing this with their children. Can you believe this?" And she gives me a look that uh, um, is not positive. Um, <laughs> it's not. It's not reassuring. Um, I, I think she would do it with me. I don't know how that would work. We, it would have to be a few years, I think, before we could leave our kids here with maybe the grandparents before yeah, it could happen. Yeah. But. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I there was someone pushing. Uh, there was a woman who was all by herself on the Norte, pushing her two year old daughter in a stroller and in stand in the municipal burgays every night. And I don't know how those people do it. I really don't. Um, it's impressive. I'll say that it is. It is impressive. What would you say to someone thinking of walking the Camino? Um, you know, I, I've thought a lot about what people's expectations should be or what they should be ready for when they go. And I go back and forth between, you know, not, not getting yourself too excited about having some massive, you know, spiritual revelation and just getting crazy about how exciting it's going to be for them when they have this incredible spiritual revelation. Like I, (laughs) I'm always torn. I mean, I don't want to set them up for something that isn't necessarily going to happen for everyone. And at the same time, I would I would drive anyone to the airport right now who who wanted to go. I mean, I would I would encourage it of of absolutely everyone. I mean, it's it's not sitting on the beach in an all inclusive resort, but in the long run, you're going to remember it a lot longer. You're going to get a lot more out of it, and you know, for better or worse, you're going to become addicted to it. I mean, everyone comes away with it with something totally different, but that's kind of the point. I mean, I forget the saying that you know. Uh, you go, I'm going to butcher it. If someone has said it very well, but you go thinking you need one thing and the Camino gives you the thing that you actually need. And I think that's very true. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it does. It does. I've been asking my guests lately what they'd say to their 21 year old self, but you're still young. So I'll change it up. (laughs) What, what would you be happy to say about yourself when you are 70? Oof, see, you're, oh boy, that's a good question. Um, when I'm, when I'm 70, I hope that I'm able to look back and say about myself that, you know, yeah, I didn't do this kind of thing when I was 18, when I was, you know, 20. that I think everyone should have. But I hope when I'm 70, I can look back and say, you know, that's all right. You know, it, it, it took me a little while longer, but hopefully I found, you know, I found what I was looking for. I ended up in the right place and, and, I, and I'm happy with, with how it worked out. Um, I hope I'm not looking back and saying like, oh gosh, I still regret not having whatever taken a gap year and gone and hiked around Europe for a year or something like that. But so I hope I'm able to look back and smile and say, yes, that's okay. You know, it's however it works is how it works. And that's just fine. You're not going to believe this, but the Mm. the internet dropped out during that answer. (laughs) Oh, maybe it's a sign. It wasn't going to be a good answer. Well, let's ask. Let me just ask again. Oh boy. What would you be happy to say about yourself when you're 70? I hope that I'm able to, when I'm 70, I'll be able to say that I didn't do the wild and crazy things that most people do in their teenage years. You know, I wasn't like some of the people I met. I wasn't 20 and on the Camino, you know, before I went off to university, I didn't do that kind of stuff. I jumped right in. I went right and got my PhD very quickly and got to work very quickly. And, you know, I missed out on some of that, but I, but I hope that when I'm 70, I'll be able to look back and say, you know, that's all right. That's not, there's no one right way to live a life. And, you know, if, 
if I wasn't retired, but I also wasn't 20 when I hiked the Camino and, and that's all right. You know, um, it takes some time, but it eventually you have to just kind of say to yourself to do it. And so I hope when I'm, you know, older and unable to do it, that I'm like happy and satisfied with myself that even though I didn't do it when I was 20, that's okay. And everyone finds their own way. Did the Camino change you? It did. I, I used to say for the first year and a half or so after I got back that it, there's not a day, there was not one day that went by that I didn't think about it. And there's nothing else that I can say that about. I mean, obviously, I can say every day I think about my kids now, because I, but I run into them every day. There's not any other experience I've had in my life where every single day for like a year or two following that I've thought about it. I mean, and that's when I finally realized that was the case, that was pretty profound for me. And so I think it definitely changed me. If not, as you said, that, you know, the journey starts in Santiago. It didn't happen right away. I didn't come back from the Camino having had some epiphany and all of a sudden being a happier and better person. It was, it was like the spark. And after that, you know, I did this, I, I did some mindfulness training. And after that, I, I started trying to, you know, think about more than just work and, you know, it builds over time. And so maybe that's an important takeaway for people is it will change you, but don't expect that, you know, you're literally going to land back in your home and you're going to be changed that day. You know, there's a delayed reaction sometimes, but, but it'll happen. What's the one word you think of when you think of the Camino? I would say humble or humility because that's, it makes you be humble and, you know, when your feet are hurting or when you're, you know, you're jet lagged and you're missing your family or whatever it is, you know, all you can do is realize, you know, your own humanity and your own, you know, humility. And, um, so I think it made me, it made me more grateful, um, in the end because of that. What's the best thing about the Camino? Uh, it's not easy. Like what I'm going to, my answer is not easy, but the best thing about it is that it forces you to turn inward. So it's not that it forces you to be self-centered. That's not what I'm saying, but it forces you to spend time inside your own head and to think about, you know, to confront, you know, to, to put it in one way, to confront your own inner demons you know, the things that scare you, the things you're worried about, the things that are important to you, it forces you, it's like it locks you in a room and says, you're not coming out until you've at least thought about this. You're not going to have the answers, but I'm, but life is forcing you to stop and actually direct your thoughts inward to see what, you know, what you really believe and who you really are. And you, you it, like I said, like I said, on my email to you, you know, I, I cried every day in that process, but in the end, um, I'm happy for it. I think it was a good choice and I think it made me a happier person with who I am. And what's the best thing about being a pilgrim then? I think the best thing about being a pilgrim is that it, it puts humanity, it forces you to confront humanity in a much more authentic way. So it's not sending emails. It's not sitting at a desk. It's not interacting with people at the grocery store, you know, where it's transactional. You're walking, you're feeling, you know, the pain in your feet. You're seeing other people who are 
very happy or who's struggling. It's just, you know, this is going to sound so cheesy, but it's such the essential essence of life because it's not, it's not playing video games. It's not watching television. It's, it's just the things that it takes to get through the day. And it's so much more authentic to like the human experience, I think, than, you know, than 99% of the things I do on a daily basis. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Scott. I have... Well, this is wonderful. It's so, still so strange to me to hear your voice and to be interacting with it as opposed <laughs> to just listening to it while driving to work. So this is still very strange. It, well, thank you so much for contacting me and for sharing your story. Good luck in finding what it is that you're looking for, if indeed you need to find anything at all. You know, in Australia... Uh, we have a campaign over here called Are You OK? It's the, the, initi- the, the letter R, the letter U, the letter O and the letter K. Are you OK? And it's, it's, a, it's a means for men to, to ask other men, hey, are you OK? Because Australians don't sure. ask ever. Absolutely. Are you OK? You, you don't ever ask another Australian man something like that ever. So it's, it's, a, it's a means of saying, are you OK? You know, to talk, to say, hey. Are you okay? So I'm going to ask you, are you okay? Yeah, it took, there was a time when I was planning the Camino, even right up to the Camino, where, I mean, you know, in hindsight and in retrospect, the answer was no. You know, I I wasn't in a good place. And for for no, you know, real good reason. I mean, I had a roof over my head. I never went hungry, but I wasn't in a good place. And that's what, you know, kind of drove me to seek out the Camino. And like I said, it's been, you know, it didn't happen the day I got back. Things were still hard after I got back. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I think I'm okay. You know, I can hear it in your voice. Good. Yeah. Good, and, I hope so. And it's, there's a smile in your voice, man. And, yeah. And it clearly moved you, the Camino de Santiago, and I think that's fantastic. I have here written yep. across the bottom in my notes, uh, which you might want to put across the bottom of your diary as well. Uh, Primitivo with Scott. <laughs> you see, you see? As long as, you know, I was supposed to actually be in Sydney for like a two week trip. And again, that didn't go over too well with my wife, but, uh, but Hey, if you, uh, maybe I can just blame it on Dan Mullins and yep. say, no, no, I'm sorry, honey. Dan says, I have to go. I can't let him down. I gotta go. That's so, it. That's it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah, I love it too. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, and, and as I said before, uh, good luck in finding what you're looking for, but I'm absolutely certain you've found it. And so therefore, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. It's good awesome. luck to us all. Yeah, indeed. Yes. Buen Camino, Scott. Same to you, Altrea. My guest this week, the US academic and pilgrim, Scott Peters. I began saying I have one of my compostillas framed above the desk where I'm sitting here at the microphone. I'm looking at it now. It's beckoning me. (laughs) A reminder of my journey, not just on the Camino, but in life. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, the German writer and statesman, said, Whatever you do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius and power and magic in it. Go on. You can do it. So can I. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino.